once again showing his versatility. I think we have five number ones. Everything's coming up Millhouse. Put $22 million for Brian Dobak. Give me a break. And, and, and Redmond has been thrown out of the ballgame. NFL tight end, you know, those playing years are dog years. Maybe it's adamantium. Maybe it's vibranium. Maybe it's, maybe it's something really cool I don't even know about yet. Welcome back to another episode of the Three Hunters Podcast. And today we have a very big guest in John Corrales from Red's Army. Thanks for joining us, John. How's it going today? Uh, it's going all right so far. <laughs> well, uh, again, we appreciate the time. And, you know, I, obviously you're a jack of all trades, which I respect the hell out of. You know, you got the website, you got the podcast, you got the video content. So why don't you give us a, a quick 30 second bio on yourself for anyone out there listening? Um, well, uh, 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, as much time as you need. <laughs> Um, so I've been working in television, so, I, uh, I've been in TV now for almost 20 years, Jesus. Um, and I've been doing Red's Army for, jeez, uh, we started in 2007. So this is going to be our 12th year, I think. So I think it was, I think that's right. Or maybe we, 2006, it's been so long. Uh, but yeah, so I do, I, I, I do Red's Army, I do the Lockdown Celtics podcast, I've done TV for a long time. I mean, it, it's, it's a lot, I, but g- generally broadcasting, uh, writing, just content producing type of stuff, uh, and I just love writing, talking about basketball. Yeah, now in Red's Army is, is where I found you, and I know we've interacted uh, on Twitter over the you know past few months, obviously. But uh, Red's Army is where I, I see most of your work. Now, how did you get that started? Because I know you're one of the co-founders of that. Yeah, so me and uh, Chuck McKenney, uh, my partner on the site, we um, we were working at WBZ, and we uh, were both producing uh, overnight. So we'd get into work at um, – like 11 p.m. and work until like seven in the morning and produce the morning news. So, um, and we had gone to Emerson actually together. So I met Chuck in college and then he was a year ahead of me. So whatever, he graduated, we played basketball together. He graduated, lost touch. And next, you know, I get this job at uh, channel four and he's there like, oh, geez. All right. Cool, man. How's it going? <laughs> and so we uh, we were reading the uh, Boston Dirt Dogs blog. Yeah. Red Sox blog and loved it. Just loved it. Uh, it just this fun, irreverent Photoshop filled kind of fun take on the Red Sox and we just looked at each other and said, man, we should do this for the Celtics. And like, we said it in jest at first and they're like, wait a second, we should do this for the Celtics. <laughs> and so we started, uh, we said, all right, let's, let's, let's figure it out. Let's do it. And we started a blog and we decided to call it Red's army because we're, we're coming up, we're trying to come up with a creative name. And, uh, we said, okay, well, what's a Celtics fan? A Celtics fan is someone who basically follows Red Arback. Throughout the entirety of the Celtics history, we all follow Red, which means Red's our general, and we're members of Red's Army. And that's where we came up with RedsArmy.com. 
So, um, and then at that point, we were just kind of screwing around and before blogging software came around and it was a very crude, uh, website and yeah. we, we just, I think the, the real moral of the story of Red's Army is it's just two guys who love talking about basketball and who are willing to sacrifice and give up all of our lives for the continued blogging, uh, <laughs> maybe the detriment of certain relationships, but, um, uh, yeah, just a couple of guys who were too stupid to, to quit blogging about the Celtics. And that's awesome because you said, you know, you started in 06, 07. That's before really anyone was doing that. I know everyone's got a blog now. So that, uh, you know, I guess question for you. Um, I know you were uh, a journalism guy too. How did you kind of get into the position where you said, all right, let's just do it ourselves because, you know, you're working um, for the news, you're producing for it. Is it something where you would kind of said, let's build our own thing, or is it more of just kind of like a creative outlet that kind of just turned into its own thing? It, it was definitely the creative outlet uh, that turned into its own thing because, you know, at that point, blogs weren't so pervasive. They weren't everywhere. Um, people were getting their stuff from – and it really was even the beginning of the Internet age as far as – content like free content on the internet like at that point um boston.com for example was basically the globe and Mm -hmm. it was um newspapers were just putting their stuff out there and uh there was no kind of uh i guess what am i looking for the there was no kind of uh, mainstream or, or very few mainstream kind of fan experience type of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we just kind of worked with it and, and said, you know, this is a, this is a fun thing to do. We love basketball. We're, we're just going to have fun with it. Uh, I love using Photoshop and making goofy things and we'll put it out there. Uh, and I, I think my competitive juices were kind of stoked by that. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I want it to be good, and I want people to read it. I want people to see it, and I just started promoting the hell out of it. Where, you know, message boards back then were big. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and, and we're just just a, a place to kind of promote things. And I think as the site grew, I realized that it wasn't just going to be some goofy thing that we did. It was going to be something that well, all right, if people are reading, let's get into what's happening in the games. Let's recap these games. Let's tell people what we see. And people just kept on coming. Right, so, right. Yeah, so that, that's kind of the genesis of it all. <laughs> it's funny because you're talking about, uh, you know, the old school Boston blogs. You talk about the message boards. I'm remembering back in the day, uh, I think it was, what was it, Sons of Sam Horn. You had Kurt Schilling getting in there with the muck with everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sons of Sam, that, that was a fun one, too, man. Yeah, that those were those were the days, man. Everybody had like nowadays, like WordPress exists. WordPress didn't exist back then. Right. Uh, you know, back then it was like message boards. Like everybody had a a board where you had like you, you go to it and you had all your different topics. And you know, we had one connected to our site because that's what everybody did, and that's how people commented. People wanted the conversation, uh, and you know, that was basically pre Twitter. Or, or at least pre-Twitter 
kind of being what it was, mm-hmm. what it is. So, uh, yeah, man, all those things, I think really ultimately what it boils down to is it was all just a way for fans to kind of have a conversation with one another and, and just enjoy basketball in, in a way that wasn't kind of being enjoyed, uh, back then. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you grew that pretty much entirely organically, right? Like doing the yeah. message boards. It's not like you were uh, you know, out there running billboards or anything. So that's even right. more impressive. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's a slow, it's a slow grind of just being out there and talking to people. And uh, I think just kind of for lack of a better term, uh, just being part of the community and mm-hmm. when you're an active member of the community and you're just kind of like, you know, BSing with people, they, they get to like you. Like you just, you become friends with people and they say, Oh, you know, I like this guy. He's, he, if you like what I'm writing, if you like reading what I'm saying, that's one thing. But then if you like interacting with me too, on top of it, you get a feeling of like, Hey, I, not only do I enjoy the content, but this is a pretty decent person as far as I know. You know, I don't, I don't let people know all of my, my <laughs> warts, but you know, just enough for them to like me and to, to keep reading. But yeah, it, it's, it's an organic thing. It's just like, you know, anything it's, you start putting it out there. It's almost like, you know, if you're a beer drinker and if you go to like a craft brewery, it's very much like a opening up a craft brewery on some corner where you have, you know, a couple of beers on tap and people are like, oh yeah, man, I, I kind of dig those beers. And you know, I like the guys who are making that beer. I'm going to go hang out in that tap room. And then you tell your friends and they come out you're like, oh, I like that beer too. And yeah, these guys are cool. And you know, it, it grows and eventually you start canning and you start shipping. And next, you know, you become Sam Adams and that's what we're <laughs> kind of trying to be. Like we're trying, trying to become that organically kind of big, like, Hey, you know, we loved you from the beginning and you're still kind of doing your thing and you're not compromising yourselves. And that's kind of that's kind of what we're trying to do. Now that's a great analogy because uh, you know everyone in college you're drinking you know cheap bush light, Caddy lights. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, whatever whatever Been trash there. you're drinking. And then uh, you know I, I told myself I'm never going to be a beer snob. And then you get a little bit older, you start sitting down and trying some IPAs, and then you find a local brewery like this is pretty good. And before you know it, you're dropping eighty dollars getting fancy beers. Yep. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> I was just in uh, the. I'm going to shout them out. They're not paying me to do it, but. Uh, the the uh, Mystic okay, Brewery yeah. in, yeah, yeah. in Chelsea, uh, and super super cool. And I walked in and I'm like, oh my god, this is awesome! Dropped forty bucks on a growler, like not even <laughs> not even out of question, no questions at all. I'll be at a uh, uh, you know at some store, be like, I don't know, twelve bucks for a six pack, I don't know, but at a cool place like that, I'm like forty bucks, no problem. I'm, yeah. I'm in, man. <laughs> I got the fancy growler. I mean, yeah, I, I try and tell myself that it, it all evens out because instead of drinking, you know, 60 cheap beers, I'm just drinking a few expensive ones. 60? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it evens out in the long run. You, uh, you know, you get to tell yourself you're drinking something a little bit nicer and, yeah, you get to meet oh, some cool true. guys. It's totally true. I mean, you, you, can, you can seriously, you can, you can pound Bud Lights till, you know, whatever. And, that, and it's fine. It has its place. Yeah. But, you know, when, when I'm on my deck – and just kind of chilling out. I want something, you know, with some body to it, some flavor to it. I'm not drinking it with a purpose. I'm not drinking it to get, you know, stupid drunk. I'm like, right. I'm just having like two, three beers to just kind of chill yeah. on, you know, a nice autumn day. 
you know, sitting there by the river. Like that's that's a cool thing to do and have, you know, some some pretty cool, you know, nice full flavored beers with you know, more than 2% alcohol. <laughs> now, it is getting a little bit cooler. Are you, are you a pumpkin beer guy or no? I, I do like pumpkin beers, yes. I, I, I'm big on the October beers, but I, I like all kinds of beers. Uh, it's funny, when I was in, well, I, uh, I'll say I started drinking in high school like everybody else. Uh, <laughs> it's okay, uh, we, can, we can admit it. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I didn't like beer back then. I, I, in fact, I hated it. Um, so I started, when I started out, it was like hard liquor, I guess because I'm Greek and we, you know, we, we go for the hard stuff first. There you go. Uh, so, but when, uh, you know, you get to college and then after college, you, you just taste change. And when I was in Greece, they didn't have like Bud Lights. They, they basically had Heineken and Amstel, not even Amstel light, just Amstel. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, well, if I'm going to drink this stuff, I better get used to it. And then next thing you know, you start drinking like different kinds of beers. You start realizing like. Um, the porters and the stouts are not harsh. Like you go and you get like a Guinness and you say, Oh my God, that's like black. It's like motor oil. I don't want to do that. But you know what? To me, like if, if somebody who doesn't like beer wants to drink a beer, I'll give them a Guinness first before I give them anything else. Cause it's not bitter. It's, right. it's got, it's, it's got a smoothness. It's got like a chocolatey kind of sweetness to it. And it, it's not for everybody, but. You know, uh, so anyway, my point is, I like all <laughs> kinds of beers now. Uh, I'm I'm big. My favorite kinds of beers are wheat beers, but um, I like like a good IPA is good. Uh, a a pro- problem is that everybody wants to make an IPA and they just oh, jam yeah. jam hops into a bottle, and it's like, <laughs> you know, if you if you jam enough hops into a bottle, you cover up the fact that you're making a terrible beer. So yeah. you got to make you got to make an IPA the right way and make it good. Um, so I'm I'm down with that. Uh, I think Arrogant Bastard is my favorite IPA. That's a good uh, one. I've had that. Yep. And uh, and I, of course I just like the name. Just fits. <laughs> uh, and uh, but yeah, anything like now in, in the fall, I like the pumpkin beers. Um, uh, Sam Adams makes a cherry wheat that I love. Um, my brother had cherry wheat on tap at his wedding. <laughs> oh, that's so good. It's so good. Like. You can't drink more than I think three or four of those at a time. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. it's not it's not something you're gonna get you know messed up on, but uh, it's for a, like I said, a nice autumn night. Like if I'm sitting there and somebody's got a fire going and I got a cherry wheat in my hand, like that's cool. Like that's I, a I good think night, that. man. That's a good night. Well, the only the only rule I had was I'm a big pumpkin guy. Uh, not while I'm sweating. So week one, right. it was still 90 degrees out. We got to wait a couple weeks, guys. Right, right. Yeah. The, the thing about Sam, like, every, and everybody puts out their seasonals, like, it's still, it was still August, and, like, Sam Summer was, was not on tap anymore. I'm like, well, come on. Like, <laughs> I know. You got to, uh, you got to go, like, uh, on expeditions and try and find them before they, they put them right, away for the season. Right, right. No, so that's a good rule. Not while I'm sweating. That's, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, I know you had, you, you played ball at Emerson, and you, you mentioned living in Greece. So, yeah. Take me through that. How did you go from Emerson? Because, you know, it's a great school, but it's not necessarily Duke. Not a how did basketball go... school, no. <laughs> yeah. So how did you go from that to playing pro ball in Greece? That's awesome. Uh, thank you. Uh, my 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 uh, college coach, Hank Smith, who now works for the Thunder, um, it, he, he basically knew a guy. And he put me in touch with him and said, like, an agent. And he said, look, 
he he believed in my abilities and he said, Hey, check this guy out. And the guy said, Yeah, I, I know some teams that could that, that could use you and, and he he brought me over. Um, you know, Emerson when I got to Emerson, we were like losing games to the mass college of pharmacy. Like that's <laughs> that's bad. Like really, really bad. You know? Um and it was essentially a glorified intramural program. I I when I was in high school um, I was recruited for mostly Division three, some Division two schools, um, and I I decided to go to Emerson, which didn't even uh, like I said their basketball program is so bad there there was no recruiting. I went there because I knew I wasn't going to Duke, I wasn't going to Syracuse, I wasn't going to be um, you know an NBA player. Mm-hmm. So I said you know a practical matter. I was like I, I want to go and and study and go for my career. Um, I turned down other schools. Like at that point, um, Wheaton and Eastern Connecticut state were the two, like, I think they were both top five division three schools in new England. They were ranked like two and four or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't have the programs that I wanted. I could have gone there and played basketball and maybe gotten a little bit more exposure, but again, it's division three. So, you know, I wasn't going to go play, play with Grant Hill. So, you know, I, I had a self-awareness. Uh, but, you know, when as Emerson kind of progressed, uh, they changed coaches, uh, changed the focus, and, and, and everybody who was involved with the basketball program was very serious about making the program really good. And then my junior year, we won most improved team in New England. And we – you know, we became, you know, we, we joined a, a league, a conference, and eventually they started winning championships. Like, they they became a legitimate Division three program. So uh, Hank Smith, the coach, gets a ton of the credit there. You know, I had some awesome teammates, uh, and a few guys have since gone pro. In Europe, so I was mm-hmm. the first. I was the first in school history. I will. I'll toot my own horn there. And you gotta get the, that framed. Put that on the wall, man. Gotta put that out there. I was the first in school history to go pro, but since then, I think we've had like four or five guys go and play overseas. Uh, you know, again, not like uh, Euro League, but sure. you know, but you, when you get paid to play basketball, that's the dream, man. That's pretty good. And you know, I had a little bit of fun getting paid to play basketball, but you know, it wasn't long. It didn't last long at all, but you know, I ended up getting hurt, but it was, it was still a fun experience. And, uh, you know, it's, it was great, man. I, I just loved it. Emerson's a, you know, it's a sneaky little hotbed for basketball. Didn't, didn't, didn't Sam Presti come out of Emerson too? Sam Presti, um, Rob Hennigan, uh, Will Dawkins is another guy that people don't know yet necessarily, but now all three of them work for the Thunder. But, yeah, Sam Presti, uh, when I was – I had graduated and come, I'd come back from Greece, and Sam was there uh, playing, uh, and, and I'd go back and practice with those guys. Rob Hennigan is the best player in Emerson College history. Rob Hennigan was a baller. And <laughs> I, I, let me tell you something. I guarantee you – he was a better shooter than half the half the players that he had on his roster when he was the GM of the Magic. <laughs> he could shoot the hell out of the ball, you know. Like I, I would put my money on Hennigan as like in a three point contest, 
against like half the league. Just put him in the corner, let him go. Yeah. He, look, he, I take him over Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he's got a little bit of work to do, but yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, you know, 2018, as we all know, there's not really a ton of those full time sports reporter jobs where you go in, you cover the game, you have a cigar, you go home. So, uh, like a lot of people, you're, you're kind of, you're doing a little bit of everything. You're doing the podcast, you're doing the website, you're, you know, I, I saw you, you, you did some video content for Fox as well. So how did you wind up in New York working uh, as a reporter for them and, or a producer for them? Yeah. So, um, in 2010, <laughs> I, it was kind of a, a wild year for me. I lost my job at BZ and split up with my wife. <laughs> all within the, all within the span of like six or seven months. And I was like, okay, what now? Uh, and so I, I saw that as a kind of reset button. You know, when you're playing, you know, you're playing a Nintendo and the, the game is just beating the hell out of you. You're like, screw this. You throw the controller, you hit the reset button, you start over. Yep. I, I basically did that with my life. Life okay. was beating me at the moment. I said, screw this. I hit the reset button. And I said, you know, I'm going to move to New York. I'd stayed in New England. I, I was born and raised in Rhode Island. Obviously, I went to school in Boston and uh, had worked in Boston for a long time. Uh, and I said, you know what? I've been around here for a while. I, I never really left aside from that little stint in Greece, mm-hmm. which is where my fam- I, I have family there. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, it's, t- it's time for me to kind of go. I'm like, I got to right. go. And so I had a friend who kind of called me up coincidentally and said, you know, he, he had lived in New York, uh, Jeff Garcia. He does, uh, the locked on Spurs podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had been friends for a while and he's like, God, oh, come on, come on, hang out with me in New York. So I did. And I'm like, you know what? This is actually pretty cool. I'd grown up, you know, being a Boston guy, you're like, man, screw New York, man. Yankee, <laughs> Yankee suck chance and all that stuff. I'm like, I don't want to go to New York. Why the hell would I go to New York? And then I, I, I got to New York. And I'm like, you know what? The city is actually really, really cool. I hate the sports teams, but the city is actually pretty cool. Yeah, so, man. You, you can go all day and night. I was there a couple weeks ago, and it's just you, you forget how big it is until you get in there, and you're like, oh, it really is 20 times the size of Boston. It's crazy. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. Like, And it makes you appreciate what Boston is. I, I, the one thing that – so I knew Boston kind of had a little bit of an inferiority complex when it came to New York. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. like, you know, what's, what's so good about New York? Like, but the fact is New York is a different animal. It's just oh, yeah. different. And having lived in New York now for eight years, I've, I, I can appreciate what New York is and how different it is and what Boston is and how different Boston is. And that Boston is just as great as New York, but a completely different thing. You know, it's like, New York is a 10 and Boston is a five and five ones. It's just different, but it's still, it all works out to be the same. So, uh, I got to New York and I, I had some contacts that I'd worked with in Boston and I just kind of call people. I'm like, Hey, you got a spot for me at your station. And we had had a great relationship in Boston. They're like, yeah, come, come, come hang out, come work with us. And I slowly kind of worked my way up. Started producing at Channel 5 in New York City here and uh, started saying, hey, I, you know, I'd like to do some on-air stuff. And they said, okay, uh, if you can give us something that you think you could do well, then we'll give you a shot. 
So the first thing I did was, well, I'm going to go to this sneaker convention because I'm a big <laughs> sneaker guy. I'm like, I, I saw can do that, the yeah. thing. And they're like, okay, yeah, do, do the sneaker thing. And it worked. You know, you, you basically get one shot. It's like a tryout. Yeah. And it went well. And they're like, okay, anytime you want to pitch something and you think you can do it, then we'll, we'll try it. And mm. so I've done a few things. Um, and yeah, they basically very open minded and not, not like thinking, Oh, you're not a reporter. Like you didn't, you didn't start reporting in Des Moines, Iowa and working your way up. Like if you're good on air, then you're good on air. And if you can, if you can tell a good story, then we want to put a good story on TV. It's just Mm. like basketball. If you can play, it doesn't matter that you didn't play. Like if, if I just walk in off the street and walk up into the Celtics practice facility and be like, um, I'm a better player than half those guys. And if, if they <laughs> let me prove it, then it didn't matter that I didn't go to college. It didn't matter that I didn't get drafted. They'd be like, damn, this guy just walked in and is, is pretty good. And yeah. I, it's basically that type of thing. So, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had, uh, some very open-minded people in New York here give me an opportunity. And I think it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. T- talent wins out. And if you don't, you know, you don't raise your hand and, and ask for something, they're not going to give it to you, right? That's it. That is what it all boils down to. If, if you think you can do something, then go do it and don't wait for somebody to kind of discover you go put it out there. And the more you put it out there, you're going to get, that's when people will find you, but you got to go do it. You got to go say, Hey, I can do this and prove it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like that's, uh, especially, you know, th- this day and age where, so I graduated college, uh, 20, 2011. And that was kind of, we were kind of starting to come out of the recession, but it was still, that was really the start of newsroom jobs getting killed off. So, you know, oh, yeah. me and all my journalism friends are going, Oh shit, what are we going to do now? <laughs> so, yes. uh, you know, you're looking around like your best bet really is just kind of, you know, get a job doing whatever and then start doing your own thing and then try to just put that stuff out there. That's it. Like that. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. It's that there aren't a lot of jobs that are going to kind of just present themselves. Mm-hmm. Again, it's very much like, uh, the sports that we cover. There aren't a lot of positions. There are only, there's the globe, there's the Herald, there's Mass Live, um, and, and some of the other like local newspapers, but that's it. And right. if, if, are, if you're saying you want to write, and you're just going to sit around forever waiting for like Mark Murphy to retire. And yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, and I like Mark. Mark's great. He shouldn't retire. Yeah. Why are you going to give that job up? Right. 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 If you can, if you enjoy what you're doing, keep doing it. But for me, I'm like, well, I can't sit around and wait or wait for somebody else to get a job and, and hope like, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself. And luckily in 2018, there are opportunities for, for people to make money if you're good and and you've got that following there's an opportunity to make some money and kind of do this on your own yeah absolutely and i know you're moving back to boston I, I'm, I'm gonna plug that for you um before we go but i do want to i gotta pick your brain on celtics man yeah so, yeah, yeah so uh <clears throat> how do you see them finishing this season you think they're gonna be a legit title threat or you think it's still too soon with golden state looming i heard i heard Kyrie. he, he was had a few quotes coming out yesterday saying he's you know, they're asking him, you think you guys can beat Golden State? And he's very definitively saying yes. And I, I like to, you know, I'd like to think he's right because, you know, the couple matchups we've seen with Golden State over the past couple of years, the Celtics have done great. But, uh, I don't know. What do you think? You think it's too early or you think now's the time? I think, well, look, it's now's the time because this is the team that they have. Like, there, there's just, you're not going to wait 
any longer. You're not going to sit there and be like, well, Golden State's really good, so whatever. Like, no, this is the Celtics are maybe the second best team in the NBA. So now is the time to go for it. And all it takes is Steph Curry turning an ankle or mm-hmm. something. And and not I'm not hoping for an injury. I don't want anybody sure. to get hurt. But injuries happen. We saw that last season with the Celtics. Yeah. There's there's always some possibility of something going wrong for the other team. It could be as simple as they're too complacent, Golden State. And they try to flip a switch and it doesn't it doesn't flip. Mm-hmm. Or it could be something like DeMarcus Cousins is too disruptive or the chemistry is just off and and whatever. It could just be that the Celtics have the right pieces to counteract what Golden State has. Like, if a cobra bites you, you're going to die. But if there's an antidote and there is an antidote, then you will survive. (laughs) There's always an antidote. Like, the, the warriors are the cobra. They're the poisonous snake that anything that comes across their path, they're going to die. But the Celtics are the antidote. Or maybe a mongoose is a better example. <laughs> like, that scrappy little thing. Like, there's yeah. always something. There is always something that can take on that one deadly predator. Like, that's, and, and that's where the Celtics, I think, fit. They have people, they have players in the places that can kind of counteract what the Warriors do well. And if the Warriors are playing their best, then they're the better team. And right. if they're fully healthy and, and they're playing at 100% efficiency and they're playing at 100% effort, they're, they're the better team. No one's going dispute, to dispute that. Question is, will they be there? Will they be 100% healthy and will they be uh, 100% motivated? And if they're not and the Celtics take game one of a series, if they get to the finals, then shit changes fast. And once you, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth. And if the Warriors get punched in the mouth, then what happens? How do they respond? Mm-hmm. And the Celtics have a team like the Rockets did last year that can punch the Warriors in the mouth. And injuries aside, we can, we can go back and forth about what happened with that Rockets series, but the Celtics have a team that can punch the Warriors in the mouth. And that can really give them a challenge. And if they do face each other in the finals, it's going to be a damn good series. Yeah, because, I mean, you're right. As great as the Warriors have been the last few years, they've they've been so good that they've been on cruise control for a long time. And you saw it last year with that series with the Rockets where, you know, they started getting pushed around a little bit and they almost lost. If it wasn't for that, that Chris Paul injury, they might have not even made it. So you get a Celtics squad that matches up better than them, with them than probably any team in the league. And, you know, they can start creating some problems for them. I mean, Absolutely. I was I was reading, uh, I think it was uh, Zach Lowe the other day, and he was saying, let me see. Uh, oh, yeah, so he said, this quintet is the most exciting group since Golden State stumbled into the death lineup. So you got, you know, Kyrie, Jalen, Tatum, Hayward, and, and Horford, and, you know, almost every guy in that starting five can switch on to almost any other guy on the other team. So that's going to be exciting to watch, and that's something that could give the Warriors a bunch of problems. Absolutely. This is a... A Celtics team that is built for today's NBA, you've got five starters who can all 
legitimately be 40% three-point shooters, which is insane. To start five guys that can all shoot 40% from three, like that is just, I don't think, I don't think people are really appreciating that simple fact alone. How do you guard a team that can start five guys that shoot that well? Meanwhile, at the same time, Al Horford is a defensive, like, beast who last season was the best defensive player on the best defensive team. And a bunch of guys who can switch, which is the most important quality in today's NBA defensively, like, that is a special mix. I, and you got to give Danny Ainge the credit for putting this team together. Oh, uh, incredible. It's, it's really just the, having the foresight. Like, he's gotten a lot of shit. Um, and over, over the years, people have been kind of like critical and I know I get, I get my, the biggest criticism of me has been like, I've, I've kind of been like a, pe- people call me like one of the green teamers. Like yeah. when I'm, when I'm, you know, battling like Gary Tangway and all of those guys, I get, I get called the green teamer, but mm-hmm. I think with this team, as we see them currently constituted, I think that's my vindication that the reason I've been so pro Danny Ainge is this is what he's been building. Like I've seen this team coming and you start seeing like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get the, the Al Horford thing. I get why you go. So did they overpay for Al Horford? Yeah. A little bit because they, that's how you get a free agent. You overpay. Yeah. If, if they had offered Al Horford, you say, well, he's not worth, you know, 20 million, 20, whatever. He's worth 15 million. Okay. But if you had offered him 15 million, he would have just stayed in Atlanta. Right. You have to overpay a guy to lure a free agent. Every single free agent, unless it's LeBron who gets max money and you can only offer him max money, every other free agent gets overpaid. Like oh, yeah. that, people I mean, need to understand that. Especially as you get guys aging, you know, Kobe was at the end of his career making $40 million a year. Right, right. But like when you want to get a guy, you have to give him something his, his current team isn't going to give him. So anyway, putting this team together has been, I think, um, I, I've understood, I understood where they were going. And at first you get this like, I, you know, so many wings. What are they doing with so many wings? And you start to see like, Okay, positionless basketball starts mm-hmm. to creep into your lexicon, and you start to say, "All right, I get it." Now, if you have these four guys who are, you know, or th- three guys who are all six eight, then you can switch every pick and roll, and now you've got that. That makes you one hell of a defensive team. Uh, it, it's just, it's just a genius way that this this team has been put together. At some point, Danny Ainge's luck is going to run out. At some point, he's going to make a mistake. He almost made a mistake with the Justice Winslow pursuit uh, <laughs> what was that three or four first round picks he was offering yeah he was he was basically going to offer the whole farm everything uh, for justice winslow which is that guy's a bum now right i mean he's good he's okay he's okay but danny ainge was like willing to bet it all on justice winslow he got lucky and yeah. that's part of that's part of building a good team you got to get lucky sometimes uh, he got lucky on that and i think i think he understands that he got lucky and that's why he's so shrewd now like I think he was scared straight 
And yeah. that's why, like, he didn't trade Terry Rozier last year or two years ago and, and all that stuff. So cool. I, I think I think it's just uh, amazing how he's put this team together and also amazing that he's gotten, you know, some luck along the way at the same time. Well, that's why Ainge has been so fascinating to watch over the years because, you know, you remember a couple of years back, uh, probably right before Isaiah Thomas got to town, he was wheeling and dealing around the trade deadline. He made like 20 moves, you know, you had the Chris Humphrey days, you had uh, you had guys coming in for right. a week and then shipping them back out. And now he's kind of starting to settle into really getting that team that he wants to see and um, not making moves. Like you said, the uh, Terry Rozier, people were going crazy. So people are going nuts before because Danny's making too many moves. And then people are going crazy because he won't trade a guy like Terry Rozier for a rental in Serge Ibaka. And then Terry Rozier, according to ESPN now, is a top 100 player in the league. So it's just right. like, it's been fascinating to watch him. Like, obviously, he stumbled into a couple of things, but even just the poker face he has when he uh, pretty much tricked the, the Sixers into taking full to oh, yeah. so he can trade down and get Tatum. Like, that might be the best movie he's ever made besides maybe the Nets pick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's it takes um, – how do I say this? I'm a big believer in you make your own luck, which means you put yourself in a position that when an opportunity presents itself, you can take advantage of it. Like mm-hmm. you can be what people on the outside say, oh, man, that's lucky. It's it's not necessary. It could be just a random luck. But really, in reality, what it mostly is, is you're you have worked to a point where when that door opens, you can walk through it. Mm-hmm. And Danny Ainge put himself in a position when Brooklyn happened. Brooklyn was lucky. At the same time, he was great at his job. And but we got to understand that it was lucky. It's the, the circumstances were there for him to take advantage of a lucky break that Prokhorov came in and bought the team. And Prokhorov was so hell-bent on beating the Knicks and owning New York that he told Billy King that you go get me a championship-level team. And that just so happened to coincide with the end of the Big Three era at a time where Celtics fans understood, okay, trading Garnett and Pierce makes sense. And at the same time, it was at a time where Billy King was just trying to hold on to his job. So (laughs) all of those things, the timing worked out. And then Danny Ainge made his own luck. The timing was right. And he said, okay, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. And he pushed for that deal. And then on top of that, Rick Grosbeck came in and said, make it a better deal. Like Danny Ainge was ready to settle for a certain deal. And Rick Grosbeck came in and said, no, 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 I want another pick. (laughs) And, and Danny's like, all right. And then he pushed for it, and they said, yeah, sure. And so there was even more luck involved with that because Rick Grosbeck was the type of person to say, you know what, let's, let's try this. Right. Said, okay, let's do it. You know, same thing with Kyrie Irving. Like, I was a big Isaiah Thomas guy. Yeah. But if you look at, like, the, the injury was worse than I thought, and Kyrie – wanted out at the right time and just so happened that, and it sucks. It's, you know, from a business perspective, it was great. Sucks from a Boston perspective, from a fan perspective, because I love Isaiah Thomas. Like, yeah. Isaiah was incredible to watch. And that's why I, every once in a while, you got to shut the sports radio off because you get people 
trashing the guy. It's like he was incredible for, you know, six months and everyone loved him. He was dropping 50 points a game. So, uh, to see him go was, it was tough, but, you know, bringing in Kyrie Irving, you know, objectively speaking, he's a better player and it's a better fit. So it was, it was, it was hard to see, but, you know, Danny's doing the, the right thing and he's been incredible to watch because it's just been kind of like in the same way Belichick works where, Basically, you're just acquiring different picks. You're moving around. You're giving yourself the opportunity when you said that that lucky move does become available. Yeah. So, you know, look, it's the timing's worked out. Everything's come up roses for him. Um, and at some point, that luck's going to run out. It's going to go away. And, and the Celtics someday will have to rebuild. Luckily, it's not going to be for a while. Yeah, Assum- luckily, assuming that they stay healthy, <laughs> you know, like they've. It's it's really been kind of a, an amazing thing to watch the way he's rebuilt this team because on the fly, yeah, they like last year was a rebuilding year. Like that was supposed to be a rebuilding year, and they got to the conference finals and and damn near won the thing. Um, and to have like so many young guys, to have a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown there to be parts of your future, and nobody is really talking about this. They have potentially. Four first round picks in the upcoming draft. <laughs> yeah. It's like, gonna, they're, they're gonna have, they're gonna have guys drafted in the top 20 playing in Maine. <laughs> right. Right. Like they have, they have all of these potentially great assets and, and where are they gonna play? What space do they have for these guys? But, you know, they, they could have, they could have three picks in the top, what, 15 if everything goes perfectly? Like mm-hmm. that's amazing. That's I amazing. Know. For a team that is a finals contender to have three potential top 15 picks, potentially the second pick in the draft, <laughs> like, come on. This, so, is like, uh, this is like when an NBA 2K or in the old Madden days, you, you turn off fair trades and you just make whatever trades you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. Setting is on easy. You turn that setting <laughs> off, it's like whatever, and you just go dominate. Like that, it, it's, been, it's been a great run. It's been a great run. Uh, it's, it's a great time to be a Celtics fan. Um, I'm not looking forward to whenever it all goes away, uh, but luckily it's probably not going to be, if everything goes the way it's supposed to, it's probably not going to be for like another 10 years. <laughs> well, it's going to be exciting to watch. And uh, so uh, you're coming back to town at the perfect time. Now, I know you've got a, uh, what's your next big move? I know I've seen the patreon.com. Uh, I've seen you tweet about it. Tell us about where people can find you and, and how they can get the best Celtics coverage in town. So you can follow me on Twitter at Red's Army underscore John. Uh, that's the best place to get all of my stuff because that's, I just, I'm a tweeting maniac, first of all. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's where I'm going to promote all of my stuff. So I will be, I'll continue writing for Boston.com. I, I've worked something out and I'm going to be doing more for Boston.com this upcoming season. So you'll see a lot of my stuff there. Uh, I'm have, I have the Patreon, patreon.com slash John Corrales, and I will do subscription stuff there. Uh, that is going to be a work in progress. Like I, I need to kind of figure out. I don't want to over promise because I want to make sure I deliver. It's, but it's two bucks a month. It's just two dollars a month. If you've got an extra two bucks a month, then you know that'd be awesome if you could subscribe to that. Uh, I will do extended video breakdowns of plays. Uh, I will do. I'm going to get into like college scouting. I haven't done a lot of college stuff, but I'm going to put like my scouts eye on and start looking at the upcoming draft and, and give scouting reports of the players that the Celtics could be targeting. So I will do that. Uh, I will have whatever, um, 
in depth, maybe more long form type of stuff uh, on my subscription service there. I will use RedsArmy.com for like uh, my daily kind of beat writing sort of thing. So you will still get free content on RedsArmy.com. You'll still get to follow the Celtics, and, and I will be your beat reporter there. I'll do a lot of writing there for free. Uh, and then, of course, the Lockdown Celtics podcast, Lockdown NBA podcast, and uh, I'm hopefully working on another podcast with the Lockdown Network that uh, it's still kind of in the works. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but there's going to be, I think, a third podcast for me to do. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be busy, but uh, I'm going to be doing it all, and I'm coming back to Boston to do it all. Um, I'm giving up my job in New York City to do it, so I hope people can appreciate that and help me out as I, I get to this new endeavor. Yeah, the hardest working man in town. And uh, <laughs> two bucks a month. Come on, guys, we spend more than that on a coffee. So let's uh, let's you know support John and all his new stuff. So that's awesome. We'll we'll throw that link up so people can find that and hopefully drive some more people your way. And uh, best of luck when you're moving back to Boston, man. We uh, look forward to seeing you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And uh, I just want to say thanks again for joining us on the 300s podcast. Appreciate the time. Hope we can do it again sometime. Absolutely. All right, John. We'll see you soon. Have a good one. All right. All right. See ya.